You are listening to The Urban Andy Show. I'm your host, Lori Ikata. This show talks about important Native issues and highlights guests that are representing Native people in a wide variety of careers. Featured guests talk about how their Alaska Native culture impacts their work. Listen to all of the Urban Anti Show episodes on Spotify and theurbanantishow.com. Like our Facebook page and follow the Urban Anti Show on Twitter to stay up to date on future episodes. Welcome to the Urban Anti Show. I am your host, Laura Ikata. Today we're going to have guest Angela Noah. She goes to the University of Oregon. And they're going to tell us about the Native American Student Union and what it's like to be Miss Indigenous. Laura Ikata Seuza Dehun Danaka Hefte Deludinith Asesni. Ita A. Johnny Kata Bauza, Ina A. Misty Carlo Riley Bauza, Setsu Uza, Madeline Riley, Setsia Uza, Rocky Riley, Nolato Hatanis Land, Fairbanks, Lasta. My name is Laura, and my parents are Johnny Kata and Misty Carlo Riley, and my grandparents are Madeline and Rocky Riley. I'm from Nolato and Minto, Alaska but I live in Fairbanks. Perfect. Fairbanks. Wow. I've never, I've never been out to Alaska. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cold. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's the school that you attend to? UAF. Oh, okay. Nice. Yep. University of Alaska, Fairbanks. And then uh, I'll introduce myself then. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So Dagodashi, Angela, Noah, Gunze, Sislagais, Un, and Dan, Schleet. Nadin Tagi, Slai Shema, Geneva, Chris Noah Gunze, Shawaya, Geneva, Greg Johnson, Goze, Adishibako, Arizona, Yuh Gushtak, Dini Gari, Eugene, Oregon, Yuh Gusnali, Public Policy, Bush Ahoa. So I said hello. My name is Angela Noah and I am 23 years old. Um, my matriarchs, my grandma is uh, Geneva Greg Johnson, and my mom is Geneva Chris Noah. So she's a junior. <laughs> um, 
and I'm from Subicu, Arizona. I'm White Mountain Apache, born of the Eagle Clan, but I currently live here as a guest uh, on Kalapuya lands or what, uh, what is known as Eugene, Oregon. Um, I'm a current title holder, the second annual Miss Indigenous University of Oregon. Uh, so just a cultural platform for our native student union here at U of O. So yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I used to go to a community college in Roseburg, Oregon. So that's just like oh, yeah. an hour away from Eugene. So I always went yeah. to Oh, that's fall. cool. So you're familiar <laughs> with this area then. Yeah. 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 I know it's kind of growing on me. I, for a while, my first couple of years here, I did not like Eugene. It was too white for me. So, uh -huh. And it was very hard to find communities. So now I feel a little rooted here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was very hard for me because um, there was like no native people, no native kids in the, uh, Roseburg, Umqua Community oh, College. I see. Did you start there and then transfer over? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I just oh. did my two years there, general stuff. Yeah. 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 I kind of hear that a lot with uh, folks transferring. I almost transferred out of U of O. I almost went to ASU just because I hear there's a big native population there. And it's kind of close to home too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you tell us about where you grew up? Yeah, so I come from a small rural community called Siviku or Dishtibako. Uh, and I was uh, born and raised there. Um, and I just remember like CBQ is always so proud because every time we had outsiders come to CBQ, you saw little babies talking in Apache language and people thought that was the coolest thing ever. And if you were a community member and you couldn't speak Apache, it was a thing to be embarrassed about. It was like, oh, <laughs> so a lot of people felt this pressure to learn the language and know your culture, uh, be proud of who you are. And that's a message I think I received growing up is being the first to attend college, being the first to graduate high school and being the eldest sibling, sister of seven, you know? So I, I really felt that I needed to embody being a role model. And I'm not gonna lie, looking back on it now, my education, it was, I was trying to be white all the time, you know, I was trying to talk really like smart, look smart. And um, I thought it was really harmful that I had to leave the res to, get a shot at education, get a shot at a diploma, because uh, I actually went to a boarding school, Tremont Indian School in Salem, Oregon. And that's how I um, ended up out there. And the interesting thing about Tremont is about three quarters of the student population, when I was a student there, they were, they were all kids from my res. Um, and so I actually wrote a, an assignment about this, you know, like uh, this within this past week was, remembering, you know, the children and the harmful uncovering of the board and school history area and, you know, highlighting survivors and their stories. And um, when I was a student at Chamawa, they didn't teach about things like that. And our track team, one of the students found an unmarked grave and it was just so like harmful to, to be introduced to how education was brought upon our people. And it's still an internal conflict I feel being amidst, you know, attending uh, Western academia. Um, and the narrative or the perspective I had was that I would equip myself with resources. You know, my people always told education is something that nobody can take from you. It's yours. It belongs to you. But 
that meant, you know, it's meant years from not being in my community. It's meant years um, not seeing my siblings grow up. And, you know, my mother, uh, we were raised in a single household. And so being independent and taking care of myself, I definitely owe that to my mother. But um, it's just kind of hard that a lot of students, especially when they transition to urban settings, have to have to give that up a bit. And I, I just don't think that's right. So I would, I'm very for reforming education, and I'm very for taking up space in higher education. Uh, but there, our people still need a lot more. You know, there's still a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely love the name of the title, Urban Auntie, uh, just thinking of the phrase auntie. I, as of two weeks ago, I'm actually an auntie. So um, I feel very like serious about it. And I, I want to be that auntie that's protective. So I'm hoping that my siblings or my community, especially the youth from back home, um, well, I want to be honest about what we're telling Native youth when we say go get your education or go take up space because uh, you have to be spiritually protected and, and that's something that I'm learning. So um, spaces like this, you know, feels validating for me. So I, I appreciate that. So yeah, that's a little bit about where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, being an auntie is like an important person in the family. And they're like, take part in raising kids. But I could also, we were talking about boarding school. It's really hard to be away from your homelands because you're connected to those lands and you're connected to the people there. So you really have to take care of yourself and, you know, take care of your mental health and your physical health. Um, yeah, I went to boarding school too, Mount Anticombe High School in Sitka. Oh, okay. Was that a positive experience for you or? Um, yeah, there's like mostly native kids there and I was more exposed to like different native people, different native cultures in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And they, yeah. like, my boarding, the boarding school, they really try to embrace native culture. They have a culture room Yeah. and I like ate different native foods while in Sitka. And That's it was, so cool. it was great. I got a great education. But it is very hard and it does have a bad, yeah. boarding schools have a bad history. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely provided the academic setting, like uh, the library was always open and coming from the reservation, I didn't have access to a library or a space to study. So just being on a campus, you know, um, and honestly, I think prepared me for college for being away um, with the pandemic and when my school shut down, I definitely got homesick, but I reflected on when I first had to leave uh, to Chamawa and uh, I think that kind of prepares you for for that. Um, but I was just kind of I kind of laughed what you had said about uh, being exposed to native culture because I remember growing when I was so closed off on the reservation and they would tell Apache people they would tell us as part of our history oh Apache people were the last ones to surrender to the government Apache people are stubborn but it was something to be proud of and so mm -hmm. I had this mindset that Apache people were the only natives in the world I like I don't know I, I was so rural so closed off to the outside world so when I landed at Chamawa, they're like, yeah, I'm a nominee nation or, oh, I'm from uh, North Dakota Sioux or whatever. And I was like, what? Like they lied to us. Like I bet you people are the only ones here. Uh, I thought it was kind of <laughs> funny, but <laughs> I do take pride in that stubbornness part though. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it was kind of a shock attending boarding school for sure. 
Yeah. And can you tell us what you're majoring in at the University of Oregon and why? Yeah. So my journey has been very non-traditional. How, you know, how I arrived to U of O. Um, so I would say after graduating from Chamala Indian School in 2016, I did not have money to pay for school. I knew I wanted to go. I knew it was the next thing to do in my life, but I was like uh, 18 or 17 when I graduated. And when you're that young and you're away from your community and you're at boarding school and only the teachers are your only support for what's next. It wasn't, I felt a lot of my classmates, not just me, we, we weren't really prepped for what was next. Um, and so we all kind of had to figure it out. And at the time I was connected to um, an outdoor conservation like summer trail crew program for teenagers. And I was hooked because uh, being with the land, you know, I had missed that. and. Um, here for Kalapuya people, there's a different kind of beauty with the land. I've learned stories about like salmon and um, their cycle. And that was something that really resonated with me because um, I was so scared of uh, being in Eugene by myself because that's, I came down here and the outdoor conservation center was like Northwest Youth Corps. And, um, you know, I I'd stuck with them. I think I did it like a few years. So I did a few years after high school before coming to college. So when I showed up, I was first gen and I, I was considered non-traditional, you know? So um, yeah, I'm a third year and, but I've, I'm taking some time, you know? So um, I will always remember my first day of school, everyone looked so young and I was a little intimidated for orientation and I had my roommates show up with me. And uh, I saw, you know, these these uh, like young people getting into school. So we were all freshmen, and um, <clears throat> their parents were helping them move in. And I was kind of feeling a little like sad because I I never got the traditional experience, and I have had to recognize that it will probably never be traditional. Um, but that's okay, you know, because I think I've reached a lot of people who also said, you know, like, uh, I didn't realize you could start late and still go to school, or I didn't realize I could even do college, and um, it is really tough, you know, it's, there's a lot that I think first gens and non-traditional and just even natives in higher education experience in general, um, but I uh, did this trail crew and I got what's called an AmeriCorps education award, which was just like tuition scholarship money. Um, and I, I saved it all up and I didn't even spend any of that money on tuition too here. Cause uh, what had happened was I had an opportunity to go to an outdoor backpacking school in uh, Atoria, so New Zealand. And I had never went international, never did anything like that, but I loved the outdoors. And it was a backpacking school. So they're like, yeah, just pay us $8,000 and you'll go one month on this backpacking program. And luckily, you know, I was very fortunate to have community who um, was privileged enough to afford that or help me to connect, you know, the, the, to make that trip happen. Um, but it, uh, gosh, like my journey, I felt so much also imposter syndrome too. Like that is something that I don't think is talked about enough for native folks attending higher education or you know having to figure that out on their own um and so i just remember my roommates like the trip was paid for all my boots and gear and i was like whoa am i really going to new zealand like am i really doing this and uh she's like angela she's like you're getting on that plane whether you're ready or not and 
when I landed um, in New Zealand, I just remember crying because I, I could not ever imagine that um, being from the reservation or just with the life that I had that I, I could see, you know, a brown girl confidently like hiking up and, and solo traveling and doing it. But um, that's been my message, I think, as I as I carry my reign and as an older sister or a mentor is like, don't be afraid to take up those spaces and to find something that is passionate. For me, that's been the outdoors. So when I got into UFO, I was like, okay, what do I want to study? And I really love public policy and I love urban planning. Um, and it was actually in New Zealand, I just walking down the streets, you would see the signs in um, the Maori language. And I thought that was so cool that there were like Maori people were existing and there was a culture that was flourishing. And I was like, wow, like the US needs to step it up. So I was like, I'm gonna go be an urban planner and I'm gonna go make space for native people um, because you know, like what had happened with reservation life, a lot of folks are transitioning to urban settings. And I'm scared because when I wa walked into an urban setting, I was I had no community, I felt unprotected and I was really scared uh, just thinking about the rates and statistics as a Native woman. Um, so it was very uncomfortable, but um, my hope is that I will be here. You know, if someone else comes through in an urban setting, they'll see uh, someone like me who's like, it's okay, I've done it before. This is how we do it, <laughs> you know, and you're gonna be okay. Um, Cause that was very huge for me. So I'm a firm believer in that uh, you get your support from community. Um, and, and yeah, that, that community support is good for overall health, is good for the success of a student too. So that's a little bit about how I got to U of O, um, but very passionate about the outdoors and just love policy work. So yeah, I'm a public policy major on my third year at U of O now. Pretty cool. Pretty exciting <laughs> when you know what you want to do and you have passion. That's when you know you're like ready for school. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I know. I think I wanted to do social work, which was still the same, you know, intent. But um, yeah, now it's very different. From, and that was social work I wanted to do when I was like uh, graduated from Tremont. I was like, I think it's social work. Like I'm a caring person. But uh, public policy and urban planning, I like the idea of just also looking at a space and asking, um, how does this space make me feel? Because you know, some cities can be sexist. There's a high rate of crime against women and a push for more even street lights in the neighborhood like that makes someone feel safe. Uh, I think about Shoshone Bannock tribes, how they used to build their homes and uh, peep their bedrooms. You can only sleep facing east, I think is the, like their doors would face east. So just thinking about how we were even urban planners back then and we didn't know it, you know? So um, I love that. I am so excited about space and design. <laughs> So you just want to kind of create a home in urban settings for Native people? Yes, yes, that is safe and validated, um, and especially for Two-Spirit um, youth as well. Uh, I, I recently lost a lot of friends who were Two-Spirit, and, uh, you know, I, I see them, like, just here and then gone the next, and it, it pains me because their stories aren't being told, and... Um, that, that's something that I carry very dear to my heart. So that was something I saw as a little girl on our reservation that needed to happen. And now I feel like I finally have the resources and you know the language, I know how to advocate for that. So um, that's kind of the vision I have walking into higher ed. 
Yeah. And I saw that you did a lot of work with AmeriCorps and Northwest Corps, and you like talked mm-hmm. about it a little bit. But can you talk about what the Healing in Indigenous Lives initiative is? Yeah, so that is with uh, the oldest Native youth organization in Native uh, country, uh, United National Indian Tribal Youth, so Unity, which is really fun, you know, safe space for Native youth. And I was brought into that circle um, a few years ago, and there was um, uh, a, a call, a proposal for advocating uh talking about mental health in urban settings for Native youth, talking about um, the prison, the pipeline, why and how sometimes Native youth, we, they fall into those cracks um, and understanding trauma, being trauma informed as well. Um, that was kind of huge for me because uh, my sophomore year at Chamoa, I actually dropped out of high school. So it took so much to come back um, and, you know, I was kind of made fun of too, because I ended up being a fifth year senior. There was like five of us. And when I had heard their stories, they were saying like, no, my mom needed help back home. So I left or no, my grandpa passed away. And that was really hard. I couldn't be here. Um, and for me, I just, my parents, it, what had happened was um, like, I think my freshman year, my parents, we had unstable housing. So we moved around a lot and I got pulled from the school and the principal was like, you're gonna lose half of half semester of your credits and you're gonna to have to repeat. So all of these circumstances were beyond our, our control, but I thought it spoke um, highly of how these fifth year seniors were back. And I wanted to honor those stories, you know, like, um, because we feel a lot of shame. I just noticed it was shame immediately, but I was like, no, like there, that's that was beyond your control. And I'm very proud of you that you're coming back and that you're graduating and we all walked together. We made sure we walked together too. So um, it was stories and I guess experiences like that where when I heard when I heard opportunities at Unity like the Healing Indigenous Lives Initiative. Um, so there's 12 of us that's part of a cohort and we represent um, different regions. So I'm one of two that represents the Northwest region. And the idea is to bring trauma-informed trainings to um, youth advisors who oversee these youth councils and to get youth councils involved um, with also being trauma-informed with talking about, um, you know, situations like why a fifth year senior shouldn't feel ashamed of getting their education and why, you know, what, what happened, what was your journey or what were the systems placed against you that played out the story the way it did. And I, for me, when I started asking those hard questions and that feeling that I talked about being imposters, like that imposter syndrome, we are not the imposter, they are. You know, that's the message that I, I want to break down. And when we start seeing these systems that are placed against us, we can start to explain why our communities are, um, you know, under-resourced in the way that they are. So uh, yeah, I I feel like the there's gatekeeping to the education and I feel like there's it's intentional that we don't know these things. Um, and that, that intention scares me because um, it came at the cost of my friends' lives. It came at the cost of like me not getting an education. And, you know, so I, I like just reframing it like that. Um, that's something I hope to teach Native youth, you know, don't be afraid to ask why or question those things. Yeah, and that's a really important lesson for Native kids to hear. Mm-hmm. 
And can you talk about how the environment at the University of Oregon is as a Native student? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So um, let's see. As a third year and uh, before I was a student, it was my only Native community um, in Eugene. You know, overall, one of the things I really love about our Many Nations Longhouse and our Native American Student Union, NASU, on campus is they do a really good job at being open. So you do not have to be a student to be in community. And every Thursdays we have a potluck. So for me, sometimes that was my meal. You know, I was very grateful to have a free meal as a student. I've showed up to the longhouse, you know, in tears or something happened back home. And because I was far away, um, I, I didn't have immediate support connection to my family. And so the faculty or the, the longhouse stewards who run the place uh, prayed with me. They held me. Um, they told me they were proud of me and they told me I got this. So um, they were for sure a backbone and community support for me uh, and just being here, it's been validating. Um, and the activism that has happened as well on campus has had, has had a lot have, uh, happen. For an example, last uh, summer, there were, um, we, you know, I would say like everyone, especially our region was in a turmoil in Portland. There was the Black Lives Matter protests happening nightly and Eugene, there was a defund the police, you know, um, and say their name protests um, all happening and indigenous relatives showed up for, um, you know, because we do have, um, folks who identify at, who are for black community members and who are native people too and so being able to show up together that was that was a learning experience for me because i i felt very scared but my spirit was like this is what you need to do and the fight that everyone was um at the time for our campus was we had uh two statues of that one was a man and he carried a whip in his right hand and he was just standing so tall and proudly. I would pass this statue on my way to class and every time I passed it, I just felt uh, not seeing it was a reminder that this higher institution was not built for me, that I was not supposed to be a student here. Um, my voice did not matter and that the stories and, you know, the stories of Kalapuya people, of the people whose land that the University of Oregon was built on, we, it, did, it did not matter. It was stories like this white pioneer settler. And I think the statue's name was like the father or something. And the history was that this was um, uh, someone who was a slave owner. And that was the, the story U of O was proud of. They made a statue out of that. And I'm just like, that's so embarrassing. Like this is y'all's history. And this is what you want to do. You want to make a statue to commemorate that. And it was right across Johnson Hall, which is where our U of O president sits. So they can see that statue from the window. And there I am walking just, and it would just, I would feel defeated. Um, it was very hard to be a student. And I was not the only one who felt like this. Um, so there was, you know, students who would just sit with the sign uh, protesting that. Um, there was a lot of community members and it wasn't until the Black Lives Matter movement where protesters came and sure enough, they toppled the statues over, they pushed it over and it has not been put up since. 
um, when they pushed the statues over, they wrapped the chain around it and dragged it up Johnson Hall steps and left it there for our president to see. Um, and I remember my friends texting me like, the statues are down, the statues are down. It was such a big moment. Um, we, my, me and my friends, we went over there and we saw and people were just showing up, taking pictures, looking at uh, what had been done. And I, I just remember feeling so proud in my community. I remember, um, you know, sometimes these systems, they credit themselves to be all that. And sometimes they just aren't, you know? And so um, just acknowledging native people have been here before any established university and universities need to be better about making space for native people. What stories are they telling and what stories aren't being told? So that was a moment for us where indigenous people's voices were heard. And there was a moment of, hey, you need to be, you need to do better, you know, to, to um, higher institutions like U of O. So um, yeah, those statues have been down now and it's still a moment of celebration for our native community. Uh, I'll see my friends on campus because now we're back in person. And we'll just like laugh at each other, smile a little bit whenever we pass that. It just feels better too. The space feels better. Um, but you have to be in tune with that. You have to sit and and then um, that's kind of what I mean. Like question those stories. Why are these things the way it is? Um, who put it up there? You know. So um, that was huge for me to see. I don't think a lot of people get to see like action like that. And for me, that made me feel like yeah change is possible, it's long overdue and we need to, we need to fix this, you know? So um, that's, that's one experience that's been huge for me uh, in my journey as a student at U of O. Yeah, so you felt like it was really a negative environment for you before this, when the statues were up? Yeah, that was one of two, there was, um, uh, another one that had got toppled over and, and they were the mother and the father. And um, yeah, we did not like that. We did not feel heard. Um, and there is a statue of a native woman, but she is like, it's a small statue and she's placed in the bushes. And I'm just like, this is an obvious message of like, you know, U of O needs to do some education on how Native women are not being protected. Um, and so when you show a statue like that, you know, that that gives, that does not make me feel seen as an Indigenous woman. Um, and I get calls when I attend your classes, when I go to your school, you know, like I get calls from my community about another woman going missing, or I will just take a break and get on Facebook and then I scroll another per missing persons flyer. These are my realities, you know. Um, so it's just experiences like that for my friends and I, we carry that while being a student and it's, it's hard, you know, so. Um, we, we, we definitely have each other's back. We definitely rely on community to, to get through it. And it's really nice to be, to have a small native community on campus um, who understands and who just immediately gets that. Yeah, and you mentioned that the Native American Student Union was important in creating that community for you also. Um, what kind of things do they do? 
Yeah, so uh, one, so for an example, as a title holder, this is only our second. Um, so I'm only the second title holder. The first, our very first uh, Miss, and at the time, the title was Miss, Indi Miss Indian University of Oregon. Um, and that was, she was Deneth, um, and her name is Michaela Begay. And so she was our first, you know, outgoing um, uh, title holder. And this is with the intention, you know, to bring in Native women to amplify them. It's a, a space for them to feel seen. Um, and so I, I know that representation politics are a thing, but I truly believe in safe spaces and I truly do believe in, in reforming education. And so I've had the honor of carrying on the title. Um, and this attributes to the our biggest event, which is um, the largest powwow in the Northwest, our Mother's Day powwow. And, you know, we, we uh, in Native communities, honoring matriarchs is a thing. So as the title holder and changing the Miss Indian U of O to University of Oregon's uh, Miss Indigenous, just so the, the word Indigenous is more encompassing and more inclusive. And um, we want to honor relatives who may be um, you know, like not just in North America because it's global. So um, that's something that I hope to embody, um, ref you know, language is power. So being more mindful and inclusive of language. So that was the title change and the Mother's Day powwow happens in the spring. So, um, and there we honor all of our mothers. We make necklaces. Our students stay up so late, just like making earrings because we pass our earrings and necklaces to all the mothers who attend the powwow um, and, and that's very healing for me my mother and my grandmother have not been able to attend the powwow but I really hope before I graduate that they will show up because uh, we also honor the seniors at the powwow too and that's a really cool moment they get um they're honored with a blanket um, and the community is just really proud of them because we know what it took to get there so uh, that's a really safe space for me, the the powwow. Um, and you know when powwow is happening too, because you can smell all the like good cooking and you just see native people take over campus. And I, I love that so much because it's open to the community. So I'm looking forward to the spring. <laughs> so the Native American Student Union just has a bunch of events like that where they yeah. just welcome native students. Yeah, they're the, they will feed, there's so much food too. Um, like we, some of the students who are from Hoopa in Northern California will teach us how to cook salmon and they'll do it right outside of the longhouse on campus too. And people will line up for, for some good salmon. So yeah, um, events like that and uh, holding potlucks and just making sure like their students are good. Um, I've been studying in the longhouse and I love that so much. I love starting my days in the longhouse. And uh, I actually am taking a native class there, a native language class there. And um, I can feel the difference because I'll sit in the longhouse. It's very circle. There's an elder from the tribe who's teaching us the language. And I feel so at peace. And then I'll go to like my econ class and I'm just listening to this like white man. And it's very traditional, very <laughs> auditorium, but I'm more happier in the longhouse. You know, I can, I learn better too. So yeah, that's, it's, it's funny that the two, but um, yeah, NASU is a, is a safe space for sure. And you briefly mentioned um, your Miss Indigenous title. Was there a pageant? Yeah. So yeah, very uh, like 
uh, tribal pageants has been a, an easy way to get young women involved and they carry out a platform. So um, yeah, the, the title or the application is open um, and then it's part of the powwow. So the crowning happens at the powwow, but the pageant is a whole week before the actual powwow and there's different categories. So it's not, you know, the same as a beauty pageant, a beauty standard pageant is what we would think of. Um, we're judged on how well we know our culture, um, how well we're proud of it too. Um, and so We'll have um, categories like traditional attire, which is a really fun way to model uh, kind of like what I'm wearing right now, my camp dress and the dentelium jewelry. Um, and we have a speaking category as well, how well you can speak your language for a lot of girls, you know, they have to brush up on it a little bit or they just like, okay, I'm gonna run for this. I'm gonna teach myself how to introduce myself. Learning just even your introduction or um, swapping out one word in your vocabulary for your native language, that's decolonizing your language, you know? So English is so ingrained in us and that's not our language. So honor your ancestors by, by doing that. And I really believe in language revitalization. Um, so yeah, efforts of language revitalization, representation, um, women feeling validated and safe and uh, just being proud of your culture. Cause at once that was considered unlawful, you know, at once, we weren't allowed to gather or to hold ceremony or to wear or speak our languages. Um, and so that's kind of a way that we bring uh, and make space for students at U of O. Um, so it's a, it's a week long pageant just based on how well you know your culture. And what was the most challenging part of the pageant for you? Uh, let's see. So I think not having my family there, my mother, she did pageantry and uh, I was raised in it as a little girl. Being a pageant has kind of been my mother's and I's language, you know, our love language. I remember being little and I first learned how to do fancy shawl and I would do my spelling bee homework and for an hour. And then she would say, okay, now go put on your dress. And, I, and she would just have me spin. Like we would play music in the house and we would just spin together, just practice spinning with fancy shawl uh, because fancy shawl is considered like the native version of ballerina, you know, because you're on your toes. So that's all I did was just spin. And I was so tired of it. Like, mom, why am I doing this? And then, you know, like hard work did pay off. The practice did come through. I'd come home with a title and then people would, uh, you know, ask like, hey, Angela, can you do this or come be involved? And um, having a role in, in my community, you know, was was healthy for me at a young age. And that's something I want to carry on uh, now. And so I'm in my second year carrying the title because due to COVID last year, we, we didn't have one. Um, and that was really hard though, because I had so much hope and then, you know, everything closed down and it just all went virtual. So I couldn't really share the crown with people. Um, next Monday on Indigenous Peoples Day, I will actually, uh, that'll be my first like official community outing with the crown. This is uh, only in its like month, it's a month uh, since it's been beaded. Um, and so I want to share the title with the community because it belongs to them, you know? So that, that's been the hardest thing is not being able to be in community. Um, but I'm getting ready for the Springs pageant and uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, my mom and my mom, she's very supportive too. She, she's just very proud of me and uh, I owe it to her for all that she's taught me too. I try to embody her 
um, just her teachings. And, you know, she always says like, don't be afraid to, to show up for your people, be proud to be Apache. Um, and so I just think of her whenever I get ready, I think of her a lot. Um, and so, yeah, just not having community was hard. <laughs> yeah, here in Fairbanks, every summer in July, we have the World Exhibition of Indigenous Olympics. Oh yeah, and, I've heard of that. And, and didn't you recently have a crowning too, right? Is that a um, thing? I ran, I ran in the pageant. I got second place. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cool. Do, yeah. do you get like a, a sash? Um, yes, there's a sash and it's like really cool. It's really pretty. And there's a crown, it's like super heavy, made out of like ivory and oh my god. I love that. Yeah, I, I really love how certain communities will incorporate their own um design or their own uh whatever is considered jewelry. So in this crown, the woman is from uh Warm Springs, she's a Warm Springs tribal member and um, so for reference, like Apache people are fancy, like get ready, uh, flashy jewelry is turquoise. So I will wear a lot of turquoise. That's how, you know, mm -hmm. it's like formal for me. Whereas, uh, here in a Northwest Dentelium is, uh, theirs, you know? So, and in the crown the, she actually beaded Dentelium into there and I've never seen it in the crown. So it's just been an honor to show off work like that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause she, her name is Victoria and she beaded this crown. So everyone's like, oh my gosh, I love your crown. I'm like, yeah, Victoria beaded it. So, you know, just like amplifying <laughs> her business too. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> yeah. 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 And the Miss Wheel pageant we do, it is a very big focus on culture. And so mm. there's a talent show and it has to show like a cultural talent. And yeah. uh, there's impromptu speeches. They asked if you became Miss Wheel what would you use your platform for? And then I just talked about native issues and I said, I would bring up these native issues and have more discussions on them with, and just raise awareness of these issues. And that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause like, that's exactly what you're doing right now, like crown or not. So I'm very proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. But there's also, um, another, the third part is you, are in an interview with the judges and they just ask you about your regalia and that you have to know like who made it and you have to introduce yourself so you have to say it right or else you get doc points and so <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow yeah I there's such a, a a different way or I think like a taken back for pageantry happening in native communities I mean I think the title everyone's familiar with Miss Indian World you know uh, and Cheyenne Kippenberger has been a huge mentor for me uh, I remember texting her saying so I think I want to run for this crown that I'm really scared and she's just like go for it, you know, do that, go for it, go represent your people. And so, um, yeah, uh, just um, indigenous matriarchs who have modeled that and who have carried, you know, their titles, that's been very, um, just like motivating for me, inspirational. So I hope to carry that too, you know, and, and the way my mom and my grandmother did that too. And I think it's just cool to be, a, to put yourself out there like that. So it takes a lot, you know. Yeah, but. it does take a lot. <laughs> But it's just like beautiful. It's just so fun. I just like being dressed up and lots of people yes. me. <laughs> I felt so special. I know. 
<laughs> I know I, I feel um, very powerful. I feel so close to my identity when I wear my camp dress and especially walking through campus, people are looking and stuff. And I'm just like, yes, this is indigenous beauty. You know, <laughs> I feel very confident about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just like love your earrings too. They're just so long. And <laughs> there's, I, there's this joke about how like native, uh, people will have like the the longest or like most decked out earring. And I truly believe that, especially in urban settings, some folks uh, will wear native earrings. And if I'm at a conference or in passing, I'll see it and we just have this moment of connection, you know? So <laughs> I really love it when people wear their native jewelry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I have some like really big earrings and they like really weigh down my earlobes. And <laughs> I just call them my anti-earlobes because they're all sagging <laughs> <laughs> oh I love that <laughs> I just love super big heavy earrings but today I'm just wearing small ones but they're cute though I like I like the little beaded uh string ones too yeah, yeah. I made these myself oh wow <laughs> oh you did good <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's all the questions I had did you have anything you wanted to bring up uh just an invite to look out for our Mother's Day powwow and a shout out to the Native Student Union on campus. And thank you to my community for all of the support. Thank you, Laura, for doing this, for all of the work. And I'm so glad that we've got to connect it. There's been so many people who uh, I've um, have been brought into my life being virtual and online. And so I'm just grateful for the connections and uh, still being able to connect like this, you know, so yeah, thank you for your work. And um, I really, yeah, I would love that if our paths cross in person too. So, you know, if there's ever an opportunity and you're in town, let us know you have a space and a home with us. So just feel welcome. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely be in Eugene again one day. I do like it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if we could hang out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, that was all I, that was all too that I had. Okay. Well, thank you for meeting with me. I just met with Angela Noah. She's the University of Oregon Miss Indigenous. She told us all about her life, where she grew up, where she went to school, where she's currently going to college. And she talked about all of her job experiences and just some, and just what it's like to be Miss Indigenous. You can listen to previous episodes on theurbanantishow.com, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to like The Urban Anti Show on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter to get the most recent updates on the Urban Anti-Show. Thank you for listening today.